Hello and welcome to the Slot Plus segment of the Slate Culture Gab Fest. Today we are going to discuss, finally, someone who thinks like me, a piece by Stephanie McCrumman in the Washington Post about a woman named Melanie Austin uh, who has struggled with mental illness and been uh, involuntarily hospitalized and who is also an enormous fan of Donald Trump. Uh, Dana suggested over the weekend that we discuss this piece because reading it um, leaves you, if you are me, with a mix of admiration and queasiness. And we thought we would unpack that delectable cocktail here on Slate Plus. Steve, tell me what you thought of the piece. Well, I suppose I had um, very mixed feelings about the piece, but that maybe will make this an intriguing segment. This is a woman uh, who's diagnosed with having a severe uh, a medical problem that includes homicidal ideation. She strongly strongly believes that the president of the United States is a gay Muslim from Kenya working to undermine America. She sort of iterate, iterates out this fantasy that Obama is gay, Michelle Obama is a transvestite, and the kids actually are kidnapped from some other family. She's, you know, pretty severely mentally ill. The reporter, without any overt editorial comment, is obviously making the point that um, someone with a severely damaged and fractured worldview suddenly finds a form of redemption in the the public antics of Donald Trump. Uh, there are many, many layers to this story. But the first one, I think, is it, it, do you think that there's just a when you read it was some did it did it trip some very fundamental editorial wire in your head as you read it? Was this a piece you would have encouraged uh, or or run? Well, I think there's two questions. And, and I think, Dana, this piece was circulated widely over the weekend. Um, it's written by Stephanie McCrumman, who's a really wonderful reporter and writer with The Washington Post, who's done some great work over the years. And um, it it got shared in the spirit of, like, look how crazy Trump supporters are. Um, it got shared, you know, and you shouldn't always hold a piece accountable for the way in which it got shared. But it was presented as, like, what kind of person supports Donald Trump? Like a woman who's had a mental break. Uh, and I think that that framing does a disservice to the care of the reporting in the piece. But I think there are two journalistic questions here. One is, um, can someone in this kind of mental state consent to a profile in a in an acceptable way? Like, is this woman, you know, whether this person was composmentous to the point where she could make a, a responsible decision to invite a reporter to come watch the convention with her? And, and by the way, we should say that we should say an average. We should say an average person of of average mental or above average mental abilities makes this error all the time, right? I mean, it's 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 always a question of journalistic ethics whether people really get into a relationship with a jur journalist fully aware of what its consequences might be. So this is especially this is an acute instance of what's a normal sort of condition. Right. I mean, is it ever do you ever want to give a journalist permission to profile you? There have been there have been tomes written and thoughts thought on the subject. And we can we can think about that. Um, then I think there's a second level of journalistic ethics, which is not how did the reporter conduct the reporting on this individual story? Um, did she take enough time and care with this woman and the facts of her life? But where does The Washington Post spend its editorial resources where do they send an incredible profile artist like Stephanie McCrumman? Who do they profile? And I found myself not outraged by the piece, but feeling that there was a missed opportunity because one of the great puzzles of this election is who is voting for Trump? I mean, certainly to people 
within the media who mostly are not voting for Trump and uh, don't really understand why anybody would. Um, and I think this there's this sense of puzzlement mounting as the election years of like, look at how many, look at how much journalism we've done. Look how many facts we've excavated. Look how many arguments we've made. Like this man is reprehensible in so many ways and does not seem fit to run the country. Like why isn't any of this information reaching anyone. And the, you know, I think the answer there is like, because people don't trust journalists. And that's been true for a long time. And to do to do a portrait like this with as much time spent in sympathy and writerly finesse of someone who had not also been fired for running a train through a red light, spent time hospitalized in an institution um, and, you know, made public threats against the president's life. But to find someone who was an American without the complications of mental illness, who also was really into the quote unquote news they found on Infowars and had questions mm-hmm. about the, you know, paternity of Michelle and Barack's children uh, and was planning to vote for Trump. There are how many people? 40 million of those people? There's like a lot of those people. So to choose to profile this woman felt, and, you know, who knows what they knew about this woman when they started, but um, I found myself wishing they'd chosen a different subject for the piece. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so Dana, I mean, I think that's brilliantly put. I mean, you know, one obvious problem is that um, it's a beautifully uh, reported and written piece. I think in itself, it's quite sensitive to what's going on with this person, which is very sad. Uh, and the world, the, the brokenness of the world that surrounds her, I think, comes through quite vividly in the piece. I don't find it condescending. However, when you do it, Dana, right, you are sort of implying that this person is a adequate stand in for in some respects, for all of the people supporting this candidacy. Uh, is that where it went wrong for you? What was your response? I don't, it's, I'm still, I mean, the reason, it was my idea that we talk about this piece, first of all, sure even was. though it's not, it's not your typical Slate Culture Gab Fest topic. And the reason was because in my actual household, it generated debate and discussion and head scratching and ambivalence. I mean, it's, it's A, as Julia observes, beautifully reported. It seems perfectly ethically reported as well. You don't suspect Stephanie McCrumman of, you know, sort of trying to catch this woman in some embarrassing statement or trying to frame her in any negative way. But because of the lack of context, I mean, for example, if this had appeared as part of the Washington Post running 10 profiles of different Trump supporters selected from around the country, and this were one of them, then I would think it was a fascinating article and send it around because it's worth reading and thinking about. And as you say, it's a it's a really heartbreaking story. Um, But for it to just appear like that and without any sort of framing as to why this woman, why this story, what is she supposed to represent or is she meant to represent anything besides her own individual experience? It did seem to me that whether or not it's extended, three, two, one, it did seem to me that whether or not it was intended in an exploitive way, that it did sort of amount to exploitation. Also, mm-hmm. as Julia says, the way it was shared on social media, for the for the most part, I think, was, was condescending despite the tone of the piece. Although not only that, in fact, it first came into my consciousness because a friend of mine, the critic Amy Nicholson, who writes on film for MTV, circulated it under the, I think her tweet said something like, you know, if you... What was it? If you feel no compassion for those who support Donald Trump, I mean, her idea was reading this piece will increase your compassion mm, for for the yeah. other side. Um, and in a sense, I think for me individually, that was true. Reading it gave me some sense of compassion for this woman. I'm not yes, sure it helped I me agree. understand very much about the Trump phenomenon. And I can understand sane Trump voters being sort of outraged that they were being tarred with the same brush right. as the mentally I, ill lady. I, that's where I, I – 
I see it from this slightly. I completely agree with everything you and Julia have said. And and to add to it, I see it from that angle, a slightly different angle, which is imagine. And I I know we live in the age of decrying false equivalents, and I hate it as much as anybody. But I still think we need to imagine what it would be like if a reporter from a somewhat right of center publication went to profile a Hillary supporter without comment about precisely why this person was selected. And that person happened to be, just happened to be an Upper West Side, supremely rich housewife who'd never worked a day in her life and for some reason saw Hillary as the vindication of her every, you know, you know, longing of her neoliberal id or whatever. And there was Chardonnay and a Brie will. And, um, you know, at a certain point, one reading it would start to think this actually isn't at all. I mean, the choices that went into selecting this person and how they were portrayed, which are invisible in the actual, you know, uh, uh, bulk of the piece itself, um, those are heavily editorially slanted and really don't portray the world in a meaningful way. Um, the piece, it should be said, is titled Finally Someone Who Thinks Like Me. So it, it, to the extent that it's an indictment, it's not of this poor woman. It's really an indictment of Trump, who seems – and I, that to me is the most – in some ways most effective part of the piece is it shows how really cynically and really repulsively he has become adept at – picking up on little internet memes about, you know, I mean, obviously birtherism was the first and most explicit one, but on an ongoing basis, he has figured out how to speak to people whose worldview is supremely fractured and in some ways also quite narrow. Um, and he, he understands the media that they are consuming, which is way outside the mainstream and what filth kind of circulates and rumors and innuendo circulates in those. And he's figured out a way to repeat it back to people as a way of um, confirming for them that, that, that these, these these theories are true, they're legitimate. I mean, he's the Republican nom nominee, right? As we all know, to our horror, he's supremely close to actually taking over the country. He's taken over the party. He could take over the country. This will ratify this set of really, frankly, lunatic fringe um, beliefs um, that to me was an important editorial function of the piece. It just skirted up against this danger of really stereotyping um, a Trump follower in ways, Julia, that you pointed out really aren't fair. Yeah. And I think um, I think this kind of work is really important. Like, I think one of the things that we will um, look back on this election and have to spend some time comprehending and making peace with, assuming that Trump does not win, which is not a given at all, um, is the way in which his selection as the nomination legitimized a bunch of just truly terrible, vile stuff in our culture, whether it's um, kind of paranoiac internet hoaxes or racism. I mean, we ran a wonderful piece this summer by Michelle Goldberg reporting out this case in Twin Falls, Idaho, that's become kind of a darling of the right-wing talkosphere in which some young uh, immigrant boys were accused of sexually assaulting a young white girl. And there was some truth to the accusations, but the, the boys were taken on right-wing sites to be Syrian refugees uh, and held up as this case of like why Obama shouldn't be accepting Syrian refugees into the country. And the it was an awful case, but the kids weren't Syrian. You know, plenty of the facts of it were 
completely wrong as it was spun out on, and and politicized. And Michelle just reported on on how xenophobia had taken hold of this town and had sort of been given permission to flourish and change the lives of um, immigrants and people of color there. And it just the permission that the Trump candidacy gives for this stuff um, is really troubling. And to the degree that this piece shed a light on that, I think it was valuable. But I agree with Dana. I, I wish this were a series. This were one in a long series of profiles. Maybe right. it is. Maybe maybe the next one's coming this weekend. <laughs> but then I feel like it needed that title. I guess it, I felt like it, it was so unlike your usual political profile of an individual supporter of a candidate. How did they find this woman? I mean, if if it wasn't going to be part of, say, 10 profiles of randomly chosen Trump supporters, then maybe I needed more framing about how Stephanie McCrumman met this woman, how they established a connection that made her able to plonk down on her couch as her boyfriend snored next to them and, and watch the RNC. It all seemed almost as if it were part of some some much longer narrative that I needed to know more about in order to understand how to judge what that little scrap of it meant. Yeah, well, and the other thing is that it's kind of a classic newspaper feature, which can be hard to comprehend on the web where you expect the newspaper to be giving you reporting. You expect it to be David Fahrenholt reporting on the foundation or somebody reporting from the trail and that the kind of selective feature approach in newspaperies without the signals of placement and presentation that you might get if you got the paper copy um, strips it of a little bit of context, too. Yeah, that that may well be the case. And I, I will say that something I did appreciate about it and that I would like to see in more political profiles is that in terms of, you know, her her own political profile in her community or kind of um, uh, her, her visibility, let's say, in, in society, Melanie Austin, the woman who's profiled here, is kind of a nobody. And, and we need more nobodies, I think, in trying to understand this election. I don't say nobody in any kind of condescending way. I just mean she is not, you know, leading some sort of activist group. She is actually just a person out there in the audience at the rally. And you have this feeling that had Stephanie McCrumman, you know, placed her pointer on another person and gone and followed their life, she might have found another story that was interesting and fascinating and sad. So that part of it, the idea of following the story of someone who doesn't have a high profile, um, seems very, uh, like a promising way for political journalism to go to me. Mm. Okay. Well, the piece is called, finally, Someone Who Thinks Like Me. It's on the Washington Post website. It's by Stephanie McCrumman. We all agree she's a terrific journalist and she did a terrific job here. Um, nonetheless, the, the ethics and consequences of the piece are murky. Uh, check them out and tell us what you think of it at facebook.com slash culturefest.